with us to Genesis chapter 9. Our text this morning is Genesis 9:18 through 32. However, I am not going to read the entire passage. I'm going to read verses 18 through the end of the chapter and then 10, then chapter 10 verse 1, jump down to verses 15 through 20. And then I'll end with verse 32. Please hear the word of God. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and he knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he, and, and he died. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And so I want to look specifically at uh, the children of Canaan, who was Ham's uh, child. Verse 15, Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zemerites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adama, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And then verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Let's pray. Father, as we have read your word and as we have read this ancient history, um, we are looking upon uh, Noah, a man who is righteous in your sight, yet, however, um, your word records uh, an incident of his sin. God, I pray that as we uh, look upon him, help us also to look upon ourselves and see that we, like Noah, are simply sinners saved by your grace alone. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
does God like sin? No, absolutely not. He hates it. So it seems reasonable that he would try and minimize it. But actually, the Bible says that God added the law in order to increase our trespasses. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Now the law came in order to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace increased, or grace abounded all the more. Why would God do that? Why would He increase sin? The only reason that He would increase sin is because He loves us so much. You see, we would never really understand our need for Him and our need for His grace if He did not make our sinfulness so clear to us. The law was added, Romans chapter 3 tells us, to show us that we are sinners. Romans 5, the law was added to increase the trespasses so that it could be a mirror up against which we can look at ourselves and see just how much we need the grace that God gives us in Jesus Christ. The whole Bible is a mirror for us to hold up against ourselves, to measure ourselves by, to see that we indeed are sinners. The Bible does not shy away from the reality and the pervasiveness of sin. In fact, the Bible presents the fathers of our faith uh, oftentimes in a very unflattering light. It does not ignore their sins. Instead, it magnifies their sins. In a few weeks, we're going to see how Abraham, Father Abraham we call him, the, the, the Father of the faith, the one in whom when we trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are children of Abraham. This same Abraham, we're going to see how in a few weeks how he asked his wife to lie for him and tell the local chieftain that she was not his wife but rather his sister so that it would save his own life. Um, and uh, we're going to learn how one of the local chieftains took Sarah home uh, to have relations with her. And God allowed it to happen. But then God rescued... Did I say it? God allowed it to happen? Abraham allowed it to happen. But God rescued her then before anything could, could actually happen. Jacob, the father of the twelve tribes of Israel... When we first meet him in the Bible, he is a liar and a cheat. Later in life, he played favorites among his children. And the fact and, and his playing favorites among his, amongst his children uh, basically wrecked his family. King David, uh, he murdered Uriah so that he could then you steal Uriah's wife. We come to the New Testament. The twelve disciples, they failed repeatedly to believe the Lord Jesus. And then, at, his, at the hour in which He was arrested, they abandoned Him. And Paul, the great apostle, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He says, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I hate, that's what I end up doing. What a wretched man that I am. 
And we could go on and on. The Bible does not try and hide sin. The Bible magnifies the sin. Because in magnifying the sin, God's grace is even magnified so much more. Because Christ, by His death, by His glorious resurrection, is able, by His blood, to cover over all of our sins, no matter how great they may be. It should not surprise us, therefore, that the Bible highlights one of Noah's failures. The Bible, uh, here in, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18, basically jumps right in to uh, tell us about Noah's failure. Now, before we examine his failure and examine his sin, it's important for us to realize, to fully understand this passage, that many years have gone by since when Noah got off the ark and when this incident happened where, where, uh, that we're about to learn about. In fact, uh, when we come to this passage in verse 18, uh, Noah's sons have all had children. Uh, and those children, it seems, have grown up. So Noah not only uh, Noah now has grandchildren. He may even have great grandchildren at this point. But um, the uh, the children, the grandchildren, it seems, are in adulthood. So it's just clear that several decades have passed since the flood ended. And uh, we come here to verse 18. Uh, there's a, there's a, a space of several decades between verse 17 and verse 18 is what I'm trying to say here in chapter 9. So, we come to verse 18. Our text tells us that one day Noah got really drunk. And it was likely a hot, humid day. And after drinking way too much wine, Noah went into his tent. It's very likely that in the tent it was kind of stuffy. There was not a lot of air moving in the tent. Uh, so it was hot and sticky. And Noah, in a drunken stupor, disrobed himself and then passed out cold. The Bible points out the ugly sins of the fathers of our faith to help us realize that we are sinners and that we stand in great need of God's grace. So let me ask you, do you recognize that you are a sinner? Are you aware that there is no way that you can impress God with your righteousness or your goodness or your good intentions? Are you aware that there is nothing in you that can make you worthy in God's sight? You need His grace. Noah needed God's grace. Noah was a sinner saved by grace alone. In reading the commentators this week, I was surprised how uncomfortable some of the commentators were with this idea of Noah getting drunk, of Noah actually sinning, and then it being recorded in the Bible. They came up with some very inventive theories to try and absolve Noah from getting drunk. One of my favorites was, well, Noah didn't really know that uh, that these grapes that he was growing when they 
uh, fermented, would turn alcoholic, and so it was purely by accident that Noah got drunk. <laughs> Noah was at least 600 years old when this happened. I don't think that Noah was naive. Uh, I think this just tells me that the commentators themselves are probably uncomfortable with their own sinfulness if they are willing to recognize uh, Noah's sin. But it is clear that Noah had sinned. It is clear that what Noah did by um, getting drunk and disrobing himself and passing out was a shameful thing for uh, him to have done. There's no question about that. You know what? That's really the last clear thing that uh, I can find in this passage. In fact, you look at verses 22 through 25, and I am just wondering, what exactly is going on here? So look with me at verses 22 through 25. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and he knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. So what exactly happened? To tell you the truth, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. So I want us to walk through this passage together, see what hints we can find to make sense of what's happening here uh, in this incident that uh, is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 9. First of all, look at verse 18. It says, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then in parentheses it says, Ham was the father of Canaan. This was not uh, Noah's only grandchild that was alive at the time. In fact, this was not even um, Ham's only child. And then look again at verse 22. And Ham, and again it points out the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. This is an important clue that Ham is being brought up at, uh, at this time. I want you to turn over to chapter 10, verse 6. It may even still be on the same page, uh, depending on which Bible you're using. But chapter 10, verse 6. And it lists the sons of Ham. The sons of Ham. Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Um, it seems to suggest that Canaan was not the oldest, but rather the youngest of Ham's uh, children. And yet, he's the one that is singled out in verse 18 and verse 22. Again, this is significant. Well, let's stick with Canaan for a few more moments. When Noah wakes up, he doesn't curse Ham. Who does he curse then in verse, in verse 25? Verse 24 and 25, When Noah awoke from his wine and he knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be his brothers. Now, the way we typically think about this is that Ham 
went in and saw his father's nakedness. Ham then went out and uh, told his brothers, and a lot of the commentators say that Ham must have gone out and giggled about it and, and dishonored his father in telling his brothers. And so then Noah wakes up the next day, and instead of cursing Ham, he curses Ham's youngest son. doesn't seem quite right. What is going on here? Well, uh, look at verse 24. Because I think this is the key verse. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. Now, it would take me too long to do this in the sermon, but I think I can demonstrate that Ham was not Noah's youngest son. Uh, rather... I think that, that Ham was Noah's oldest son. Now in our text, Shem is always listed first, Ham second, and Japheth third. But uh, that's not telling us the birth order. In fact, I think that the reason Shem is listed first is because he is the most important because it is from Shem that the Israelites descended. In fact, the Jews are called Semites because they are descended from Shem. But in verse 24, Noah says uh, what his youngest son had done to him, which would be, I think, Japheth, if we're only thinking about his sons. But Noah, being the patriarch, all of his children and his children's children, even his children's children, uh, his children's children's children belonged to Noah uh, since he was the patriarch. So I think that Noah cannot be speaking of Ham since he is the oldest, but I, but I think rather he is speaking of Canaan. I think Canaan actually did something in that tent when Noah was passed out. Well, what did Canaan do? Well, it's not mentioned. Why is it not mentioned? Was probably unmentionable, um, and uh, so something uh, much more shameful than Ham seeing his his father uncovered. Uh, Leviticus 18 and also Leviticus 20, I think, give us a clue as to what might have happened. Don't turn there. Uh, I just want to read to you a few verses from these chapters, and I'm not saying this is what happened. I think this, however, is simply a, a clue. Uh, in Leviticus 18, uh, the, the Scripture says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people, people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. None of you shall approach any of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. Uh, this is the Bible speaking euphemist euphemistically uh, of incest. 
Um, so I'll stop right there. The text, uh, Leviticus 18, continues. Uh, but we would move past incest, as horrible, as debauched as that is, uh, into a debauchery that I simply cannot mention with little ears present. Leviticus 20 is just as bad. Uh, but it also adds the sin of child sacrifice. Um, so, and he's warning, Moses is warning the Israelites, and he's making these laws saying, don't do this because this is what the Canaanites uh, do. Now, uh, if you're still in Genesis, uh, look again at chapter 10, Genesis 10. If your Bible has chapter titles, as some of your Bibles do, then chapter 10 might be titled The Table of the Nations, or it might be titled Nations Descended from Noah. And that's basically what's happening here in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10 describes the sons of, of, of Noah and how they had children and how their descendants eventually began to spread out uh, to different places around the world. In verses 15 through 20, we find Ham's descendants listed. And so uh, I read it earlier. I'll read it again. Uh, Ham, of course, was the son, the, the youngest son, I believe, of... I'm sorry. Ham, Canaan was the youngest son of Ham. So then we pick up verse 15 with Canaan's descendants. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zemarites, and the Hamathites. Uh, I almost want to add the termites as well. Um, it sounds like something that a uh, an exterminator would would have on his list to take care of when he goes into someone's home. But anyway, um, these are the, the descendants of Canaan. Then verses 19 and 20 tells where they lived. Uh, halfway through verse 18, Afterwards the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adama and Zeboyim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Notice that the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned as Canaanite towns. So I think we have here several hints as to what has, that might have happened in the tent while Noah was passed out drunk. This episode would probably not have made it into the Bible, but Moses included it because he wanted uh, to warn the Israelites. He wanted the Israelites to understand just how bad the Canaanites were. When Moses wrote Genesis, you'll remember, the Israelites were out in the wilderness after they had crossed the Red Sea. And Moses knew that it was God's plan to eventually bring the Israelites into the Promised Land, which was the land of Palestine into the land that was presently, uh, at the time, uh, occupied by the Canaanites. So he's warning them in the passage I read from Leviticus 18, also Leviticus 20, that uh, they were a wicked people. That's also why God uh, had uh, mandated that Israel wipe the Canaanites out when they invaded the land of Palestine. 
I did some research this week into Canaanite culture and religion, and I found what I expected to find. Um, the Canaanites, indeed, were a very bad, a very debauched uh, sort of people. So listen to what some of the archaeologists said about the Canaanites. So the Ugaritic literature has helped reveal the depth of depravity which characterized Canaanite religion. Being a polytheism of an extremely debased type, Canaanite cultist practice, cultic practice was barbarous and thoroughly licentious. It, it inevitably had a serious retarding and debilitating effect on every phase of Canaanite cultural, cultural and community life. It was inescapable that the people should gravitate to the moral level of the sordid gods they worshipped, or rather that the gods were were a reflection of their society. Like gods, like priests, like priests, like people, expresses a law that operates unfailingly. And then another person said, the brutality, lust, and abandon of Canaanite mythology is far worse than anywhere else in the ancient Near East at this time. And the astounding characteristic of Canaanite deities, that they had no moral character whatsoever, must have brought out the worst traits in their devotees and entailed many of the most demoralizing practices of the time, such as sacred prostitution, child sacrifice, and snake worship. And one of the archaeologists begins to tell this story of one of the Canaanite gods. And then he stops abruptly. And then he simply says this, much of Ugaritic literature is R-rated at best. And so he just refuses to tell what was happening in that ancient uh, Canaanite myth. And God knew that the Canaanite religion would be a powerful attraction to the weak-willed Israelites and that um, it would become a cancer that would destroy Israel from the inside and it would destroy them more completely than any foreign invader could possibly destroy them. So Moses included this incident in Noah's life to create a revulsion amongst the Israelites, a revulsion to all things regarding the Canaanites. This same cancer is eating away at our own culture. We may not be as brazen as the Canaanites were in their sexual debauchery, but culturally we are headed in the same direction. This is not a, fu- a subject I feel exactly comfortable addressing from the pulpit, but I cannot afford not to. We live in a culture where the lies, the deceptions, the distortions, the temptations of illicit sex are everywhere. Everywhere we turn, it is there. We've gone culturally insane. Just so I'm not misunderstood, I realize that illicit sex or sexual immorality is not the end-all, be-all of our culture's problems. The sin of greed is a great problem. The lack of the need for truth is a great problem. As we saw last week, the disregard for the sanctity of human life is a great problem. And there are many more problems that are causing our culture to disintegrate from the inside out. Our nation's biggest threat is not from foreign-born 
or homegrown terrorist. Our greatest threat to our nation is from our own lack of character, from our own sin. Now our text is driving us to consider the problem of illicit uh, sexuality, so that's why I'm bringing it up this week. And I'm only going to say a paragraph or two, and then we'll be finished, so don't think that I'm going to dive into this subject in any great way. I simply want to say the problem of illicit sex is a cancer that has infested our culture. It is a cancer that has ensnared countless young men. It is a cancer that makes young women overconscious of their bodies and of their looks. It is a cancer that is enslaving entire populations of men and women. It is a cancer that is wreaking havoc in our marriages. It is a cancer that is threatening to tear our nation apart at the seams as we battle over reproductive and homosexual rights. It is a cancer that is leaving a wide path of destruction in our nation. And most dangerously, it is a cancer that makes us as a culture disdainful to God. It would be very easy for us to sit here in church and list the evils of our culture. But we are a part of our culture. We need to examine ourselves. We need to look at ourselves the same way that the Bible looks at the fathers of our faith. We need to be honest with ourselves and with our sin. Now I know what you I know that you know what the Bible says about sexual immorality. But I think it is appropriate that I remind you anyway. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin, um, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Ephesians 5, verses 5 through 14 says, For this you may be sure, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, um, that is an idolater, who has, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. And in the final verse... Is uh, Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. Our Lord Jesus said, You have heard that it is said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully uh, or with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his, in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your 
your members, then your whole body go into hell. The Israelites, as we shall see, instead of removing the Canaanites, fell in with them. Many of the Israelites exchanged the righteousness of God for the lie of sexual immorality. But God did not give up on them. He was gracious to them, even though they deserved no grace. He loved them when they only loved their sin. And it was to them that He sent the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to rescue sinners from their sin. And He continues to rescue sinners from their sin. He offers Himself to sinners. Or as we talked about with the children, He was baptized to identify with sinful humanity. Noah was a sinner saved by grace. If we are going to be saved, it is by that same grace. Let's pray. Father, as in some way we have spent a few moments of this sermon walking through the mud of our culture, Father, I ask that You would um, remind us again of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that when He comes and takes residence in a person's soul, we become light in the Lord so that instead of uh, walking through the mud, we become a preservative. We become light in the Lord. And our lives are to expose the futility, the debauchery of those who live in darkness. Help us, Father, to avoid that debauchery. Help us to be light in the Lord. And I pray for any here who feel entrapped that You would remind them of Jesus' great love and also of His great power that He is able not only to cover over any sin, but to transform any sinner and to bring them from the futility of their former life into the light and glory of living in His presence. We pray in His name. Amen.